0: let's pray. Lord, thank you that we can come before you today. We magnify your name. We thank you for all that you have given to us. You set us free. You lay before us eternity. You come to meet with us each day. Oh Lord, magnify your name. We're so privileged to worship you. Thanks that you're here with us, that you lead us, that you guide us, that you never forsake us. We thank you for all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Maybe see it. My name is Mark Larson, and I'm one of the retired pastors in the congregation, and I have the privilege of bringing this message to, de- to, to you today, which is in the uh, series on Revelation entitled "God Wins." Isn't that good news, God wins. Whoa! God wins. Gives us a picture for how things end up at the end, and God is victorious. And all of those that know Jesus Christ and His forgiveness and His salvation stand with Him in celebration. God wins. But the truth is, God wins each day. God wins every time you turn to Him and ask for guidance. God wins. Every time you pray and you let God have something that's been binding you up, God wins. Every time you lay your life before him and say it's all yours, God wins. In this series, as we've been talking about God wins, not only is it great to know that he wins at the end, he wins each day, but it's good news for all of us, all of us. Today we're going to be talking about some of the differences between the culture we live in and what God gives to us. And in God's command, everybody can win. So different than the world. I'm sure sometimes when you're out in the world, you hear this phrase, well, somebody has to lose. Well, not in God's economy. Everybody can win. I think a good picture of this It's a basketball tournament that takes place every year in March. So those of you that are basketball fans are well familiar with March Madness. 64 teams start off. 64 college teams. Big tournament. After the first round of games, 32 teams left. Then it goes down to what they call the Sweet Sixteen the elite eight, the final four, and finally the last two are left. They have the big game, the championship game, and the champion is crowned. But the reality is that if you go back a few weeks, there were 64 teams. So that means that 63 teams finished the season with a loss. The good news is in God, we can all finish... As winners, I'm so thankful that he comes to meet us and doesn't kind of say, okay, just one out of you 64 are in, all of us. So on this series, we've been looking at uh, initially the seven churches of Revelation. Revelation is addressed to seven churches, and uh, we visited some of these churches along the way. And today we're going to visit number seven, Laodicea. Number seven, Laodicea. To each one of these churches, God has had something that says, you're doing this well, but there's some things that you're not doing well. But Laodicea is the only church that God says, you're not doing anything well. I'm sorry. You're not doing anything the way that it should be done. The Laodicean church had exchanged wealth for God. They had gone the way of the culture and all the things that the culture said that's what makes you good God says that's not, not what I'm looking for. So let's turn in our Bibles to Revelation the 13th chapter and begin reading what Jesus has to say to the church in Laodicea. To the angel of the church in Laodicea Right. These are the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. Good news from Jesus, right? But that's what he says to him. You're not cold, you're not hot, you're not doing anything right, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. Then he says this. You say I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind and naked. Wow, what a picture. They think they're wealthy. He says you're poor. He says they he, they think that they're dressed nice. He says you're naked. They think that they can see. He says you're blind. So Jesus wants to turn this picture around so they can begin going the right way. So he gives them these pictures to help them learn. This initial picture is a topographical kind of picture from the place that they lived. You're neither hot nor cold. You're lukewarm. The lukewarm church. Laodicea, where it was situated, it was situated between a couple of other cities, each one about 10 miles away. 10 miles one direction was a church called Hierapolis, or not a church, but a, a city called Hierapolis. Hierapolis has a, uh, has a big cliff that rises up about 300 feet, and, and it is, it, it's a cliff that has the hot springs pouring over it. So it's a, kind of a white cliff with all these, uh, these calcifications in it. It had hot water. But by the time that the water got to Laodicea, the Romans were good at pipes, at aqueducts, they were good at transporting water, but they weren't so good at keeping the water hot. My wife and I had an opportunity to travel to these seven churches, their archaeological sites, and if you really want to go to an archaeological site where you can really get up close and personal with some Roman pipes. This is the place to go. They're all calcified. So by the time the the water flows from Hierapolis down to Laodicea, it's not hot. It's lukewarm. Similarly, over in Colossae, which is about 10 miles the other way, Colossae was famous for their cool springs, cool water. By the time the cool water flows to Laodicea, it's lukewarm. So, these two places that have water that could be extremely helpful. Think of it this way you, you, you're, you're kind of in a, in a spot where you need uh, some circulation improved, and you can't wait to get in the hot tub. You're going to sit in there and soak. This is going to be so awesome. You get to the hot tub, you put your foot in there, lukewarm. Not exactly what you had in mind. Or let's say you're on a hike. Your feet are starting to hurt, they're swelling a little bit, and you think there's a, a springs up ahead that has cool water in it, and you think, I just can't wait to get there and take these, these boots off and put my feet in this cool water and get some of the swelling to go down. You get there and the spring is lukewarm. So the church in Laodicea is the lukewarm church. There's nothing about it that Jesus says is good. He says, You're not hot, you're not cold. You're lukewarm. Laodicea was a place that prided itself on three things. One of them was wealth. It was a banking center. It was a place that had had a lot of money. Matter of fact, there was an earthquake in this area. A lot of Laodicea was knocked down, and the Romans came to help them rebuild the city and give them money, and they said, we don't need your money. We've got enough. So they were a proud people because of their wealth. They were a proud people because of their clothing. In the, in the plains around uh, Laodicea was, was perfect grounds for the, the sheep to graze. And they had this type of, of wool that they produced there that was sought out all around. And Laodicea was a, a, in the middle of the trading route. So people came to get these garments. So they had money. They had nice clothes. And they had a, an eye salve that was uh, the top medical treatment at the time, uh, a lot, the top cosmetic for, for treating issues of the eyes. And uh, so they have eye salve. So they got those, those three things going for them. But in the midst of that, where they feel so good about these three things, Jesus comes to them and says, but you do not realize that you are wretched, poor, blind, and naked. Then he goes on to help them understand what they need to do. So it says in the next verse of Revelation, beginning with 18, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, so you can become rich, and white clothes to wear, so you can cover your shameful nakedness, And salve to put on your eyes so you can see. First thing he wants to do is instead of the prosperity and wealth of the local market, of the bankers, he says, buy gold from me. In Psalm uh, 19, it says this. God's commands, his precepts, his directions, they are more precious than gold pure gold. They are sweeter than honey from the honeycomb. God's commands, God's direction brings us real gold, something that really lasts. If you remember back in the fall, we began talking about God's story and and a plan that God has for a person named Abraham. So it begins with a command. He says, I want you to go to this land, and when when you get there, I'm going to raise up a great nation, and you'll be blessed, and all the people will be blessed through you. That promise was passed on to his son Isaac and his son Jacob. It went down into Egypt with that clan. 400 years later, that clan is now over a million, and God takes them out of Egypt through miracles through the Red Sea, up through the wilderness, into the promised land, They aren't faithful, though. So God takes them out again to a time of exile. But then he brings them back again. And finally, in a place called Bethlehem, that promise to Abraham comes true. For Jesus, the miracle birth, the virgin birth, is born, and through him, we are going to find salvation, forgiveness of our sins, and he's going to conquer death. We have eternal life. Now, that's real gold. That's the kind of gold relationship in faith that we have come to realize in Jesus. In 1 Peter, we read this. Peter writes to some people who are going through difficult times, and he says, I know how great this makes you feel, even though you have to put up with every kind of aggravation in the meantime. Pure gold put in the fire comes out of it proved pure pure faith put through this suffering comes out proved genuine. When Jesus wraps this up, it's your faith that saves you, not your gold, that God will have on display, even of his victory. That's what God has for us that that really counts. It's that relationship with Jesus Christ that lasts through into eternity. The Apostle Paul never forgot where that priority is in his life. Look in 1 Corinthians, it says this. For what I passed on to you of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. A simple verse, but it reminds us that in Paul's life, the thing that is most important is that Christ died for his sins, that Christ's grace was given to him. That's what is of first importance and foremost importance. First and foremost importance in the life of the Laodiceans was wealth. But Paul and Peter point us to that golden gift that God gives to us that's better than any gold. It's that relationship in Jesus Christ. Relationships are so important as we go through life. So important. Mary and I got married just 52 years ago now. We had three things. We knew that God would be with us, always with us, never fail us, never forsake us, wherever we went. We had each other, we would always have each other. And we had $100. Well, the $100 is gone. But the last two are always there. Wherever we have been, wherever we've lived, where we've gone, we know that God is with us. And we always have each other. Those relationships, so important. In our bedroom, we have a sign that says, happy together. More we're separated for a little bit, we like to send those cute little emojis with hearts. Isn't it great that old people send emojis? <clears throat> But those are the things that really count, and it's so easy to get off track because that isn't what the culture says. So the first thing that the Laodiceans need to get a hold of is the fact that God has given them this amazing, amazing gift in Jesus Christ. Number one. And then he says that they are to have white clothes. Get white clothes from him, white robes. We read this in Isaiah 118. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. They shall be like wool. In 1 John 1, 9, it says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Those two verses just remind us of what God is giving to us to bring us righteousness. White robes, the symbol of righteousness. He is going to make us righteous, forgiven. We've just gone through a class in this church called Freedom. Many of you have taken it. For those of you that haven't, take it the next time it comes around. Because freedom is what you have on the other side of forgiveness. There are so many things that hold you down, that keep you down, that, that you're just not really quite ready to let go of. But when you finally give them to God, step into his righteousness which he gives to you, you find freedom. The hurts, the fears, those things that have been so hard in your life as you give them to the Lord. Well, in this class, you go through these different weeks where you begin to realize the things that you have kept in your life. You've never really given the Lord the opportunity to deal with them. So, when this class ends, you gather together for a time when you can do that. You can give those sins to the Lord, those hurts, those problems, those things you're afraid of. And I had the privilege to pray with people who were bringing these things to the Lord and prayed those. The prayer of those verses over them. If you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That's good news. That's freedom. So Pastor Dave gave him a card. And on the card, they wrote down those issues that they had never let go of. And they came up to those of us who were going to pray with them. And we prayed. And then they took the card and they began to tear it up. Because those things, those issues, those hurts, those fears, those sins, they're gone, they're given to Jesus. So just throw them away and then stomp on them. They aren't coming back. They're gone. That's what it means to live in freedom, freedom. I'm not going to carry those things around with me anymore. Jesus is going to set me free. And I give thanks to him for that freedom, for that righteousness. When we were when I was going through the the study for this there's a song that came to my memory and a verse from a song and the song is this my hope is built on nothing less but Jesus' blood and righteousness Then it says, When he shall come with trumpet sound, that's what Revelation is all about. When he shall come with trumpet sound, oh, may I then in him be found, dressed in his righteousness alone, freedom, faultless to stand before the throne. Thanks be to God that he allows us all to be winners to tear up those issues that are in our lives that are holding us down and keeping us back and to give them to the Lord and to know that though your sins were like scarlet, they're changed. It should be white as wool, white as snow. The Lord changes our lives when he gives us that freedom. This passage goes on to talk about in an eye salve, that the Lord could give to us. Not a salve just to kind of cosmetically treat our eyes, but a salve that really changes the way we see. There's a passage over in John 19 that talks about a man who was born blind. Jesus took some some dirt, spit in the dirt, put it on the man's eyes, and the man could see. And they came to question him about what happened, and he replied, he said, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Salome and wash, so I went and washed, and then I could see. Then I could see. What a blessing to know that Jesus can heal us in that way, but to heal us from Spiritual blindness, because that's what he goes on to talk about in this passage. To be able to see like Jesus sees. Jesus saw this man who was blind, and he healed him. Jesus would be walking along, and the, the, the crowds would be coming, and they might be filled with children. And you know how children are. They're always obedient and nice. Now, they're noisy, and they're running around, and they're doing all that stuff. And so they'd always say, no, keep the children away. And Jesus said, no, let the children come to me. For to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And then it says, and he blessed them. I want to see like Jesus sees. Jesus stopped to talk to a woman at the well. Read John 5. One of my favorite passages. A passage where Jesus comes and sits down and talks to this woman who's there by herself at the well, probably because she didn't want to be around all the other people coming to the well because she'd had a not such a good past. But Jesus stops. Jesus talks to her. Jesus offers her living water. She says, well, where can I get it? He says, I can give it to you. She says, when the Messiah comes, he says, I'm here, I am. She believes. She goes back to her community. And because of her testimony, they believed also. Jesus comes to change all these people. All these people that were, so to speak, pushed to the side because of illnesses, because of injuries, because of issues in their life, because they were too young or too old. Jesus has time for everybody. I want this to be my testimony when I say, the man they called Jesus. Put some stuff on my eyes, and now I can see. So that's what the Laodiceans need. They need a a total kind of transformation, not from the, the gold of their culture, not from the clothes that the city is known for, not from the medicinal salve, But Jesus wants them to take real gold, a real relationship that changes your life now, even unto eternity. He wants them to find forgiveness. He wants them to be able to see the world as Jesus sees it. So then Jesus comes to them, and he says this in verse 19. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. You see, Jesus doesn't just come to condemn. He says, these are the things that are going wrong. So now what I want you to do is I want you to repent. You're going this way. That's not going to be helpful. Go this way. This is the direction you need to go. That's what repentance means. Turn around and go the other way. So Jesus comes to them and he says, it's time to repent. And then he says this, verse 20, here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. Jesus wants us to turn around, then he says, I'm coming to dinner. I'm coming to dinner. I want to come to your house. When Jesus comes to somebody's house, Things happen. Things change because the Savior's here. I want to share with you a story that comes from Luke, the 19th chapter. I don't have a slide for it because I just want you to imagine the story in your mind's eye. I want you to picture this story about a man named Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus lived in a place called Jericho, city of palms, and Jesus is on his way to Jericho. Right before he got to Jericho, he healed another person of blindness. So the crowds are beginning to form. The crowds are beginning to gather. And Zacchaeus just wants to see Jesus. He just wants to see him. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was. But being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. What a great picture. Jesus is coming. The crowds are all around him. I'm never going to get close. I'm too short. I'll never be able to see. I just want to see Jesus. So he climbs up in a tree. That's his vantage point. That's where he wants to be. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and he said to him, this is great. Zacchaeus, Come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. Can you imagine what it's like when Jesus comes by and you're in a crowd and he he looks at you and he says, he calls you by name, Zacchaeus. I see you, Zacchaeus. Come down. Come down. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. Jesus is coming to my house. I just wanted to see him, but he's coming to my house. And all at once, all of the people in the crowd began to mumble. All the people saw him, this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Jesus always went to the places that he, they didn't think he should go. But those are places Jesus knew that he should go. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, 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 here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. That's what happens when Jesus comes to your house. That's what Jesus wants to have happen to the Laodiceans. Jesus wants to come to their house. He says, I'm standing here. I want to come in. I want to be with you. Because when Jesus comes and people turn from that way to this way, things are different. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. This man, who you say I shouldn't go to his house, he too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save that was lost. What a great picture of what Jesus wants to happen to the Laodicean church. Repent. Turn around. I'm standing at the door. I want to come to your house. I love this story because, and every time I say it, I can't get through it, because This is my story. I'm Zacchaeus. I'd have been comfortable in the Laodicean church. I I could go there just to see Jesus. But I'm not giving up all the things that make me feel good in the world. So I'm Zacchaeus. I understand him. I feel for him. Because there's a moment in my life That changed everything. Everything. You see, before I was a pastor, before I was an army chaplain, before I went to seminary, before I finished college, before Mary and I got married, I was a 19-year-old soldier in Fort Ord, California. The army knew me as R-A-18870186, my serial number. That's who I was, R-A-18870186. Assigned to Company B, 2nd Battalion, 3rd Brigade, Fort Ord, California, and that's where I was as a 19-year-old, sitting on my bunk. And the Lord came to me. Didn't call me by serial number, because he knows my name. And I knew in my heart, this is the moment you have to decide. You have to decide right now. And so as I prayed, I just very simply said, Lord, I am all yours. I'm not going to try to dance with the culture and go see you at church. I'm all yours. I'm all yours. I'm all yours. So that meant, if I'm all his, the first place I'm all his is in that army barracks, in front of Sergeant Montoya and Sergeant Paia and my squad. I'm going to stand for Jesus there. And that decision changed me into the kind of person that I should be as a husband and a father. That decision changed me and set me on a course to reach out to people and try to share Jesus Christ with them in so many places, in churches, and sometimes in different locations with the army or sitting in some barracks somewhere, trying to share how good it is to know Jesus. Jesus, let me be in his house. What a blessing. This passage finishes up in Revelation by saying this. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I overcame and sat down with my father who was on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Jesus finishes up by saying, are you listening? Are you listening, Laodicea? Are you listening? Are you willing to say, I'm all yours, Jesus? Jesus is standing there and waiting to come to our house and change our lives as we give all of our life to him. We're going to pray, and as we pray, I want to give you the opportunity to give it all to Jesus so that your life could be changed as mine was at that moment, at that time, and has blessed me every day since. Let's pray. Lord, thanks that you come to us that you'd know us by name. Lord, thanks that you're always with us, even though we've gone a wrong direction, but you come and you help us to turn around and to go another way, the direction that will bring us life and hope and forgiveness and new life. So Lord, we take this time now to put our lives in your hands. So if you're here this morning and you'd just like to do that, just pray with me and say, Lord, here's my life. I put everything in your hands. Lord, thanks for the forgiveness that you bring. Thanks for the hope you bring. Thanks for the love and the graciousness and the healing you bring. Lord, thanks that I can give my life to you. And the life you give back, I'm blessed forever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.